We are the church. That's good. Um, we're in the second week of a two-week message series called A New Identity. Last week, we talked about how one of the best ways for us to understand and know ourselves, our identities, is to look at Jesus and notice how Jesus is looking back at us. To look at him and try to comprehend how he feels about us and what he sees in us. And that at the core of our identity isn't found in what other people think about us or what even we feel about ourselves, but our identity is rooted in something much deeper than those things. It's rooted in who God made us to be. We highlighted Genesis 1.27, which says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. This was a revolutionary idea at the time, and it changed the world that men, women, and children were created with intrinsic dignity and value. Last week, we talked about the creation story, right? How God created the universe and, and it was recorded for us in Genesis. How God made the stars and the sky and the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. How he made Adam the first person. And how he stepped back and he said, it is good. God gave Adam everything he needed. The scripture even tells us that God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. And yet... Even though what God had created was good, God knew that something was missing. God knew that he had designed Adam with a need that wasn't being met, even being met by God himself. Adam was alone. And in the story of creation, this is the first moment in the story where we hear the words, it was not good. Up until this point, all of creation, we hear God say, it was good, it was good, it was good. And now we read in Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. God designed Adam, he designed us, humanity, to be relational, to function best together in community, to literally need each other. To thrive. And so God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so God made Eve the perfect companion for Adam. Uh, someone to laugh with, someone to work alongside, someone to share his life with. And, and the word helper here is not indicating that she is less than Adam. It means she is perfect for Adam, and Adam is perfect for her. They are perfect companions. The two are equals that are better together than they are apart. I've certainly discovered this with my wife, Adrian. right? She's pretty great. I don't know if you like her that much, but I'm a big fan of Adrian. I know I'm better because she is in my life. Now, she is the perfect match for me. So, for example, uh, Adrian has this weird uh, habit, this thing that she does. She will never eat the last bite of a sandwich or a burger. And so what that means, whenever we go out to eat, I always get one extra bite of whatever she orders. It's perfect, because I'm always one bite still hungry at the end of every meal. Or how years ago, I was training for a triathlon, and uh, that was many years ago, and... <laughs> 
<laughs> and, uh, and Adrian was, became my swim coach. She was teaching me how to swim. And I remember swimming and swimming and swimming. And I'd get out of breath. And so then I'd put my hands on the edge of the pool to like take a break and catch my breath. And she would stomp on my fingers. <laughs> and, and I had to keep swimming. Perfect companion, you guys. Or... During the 2016 fire, Adrian and the boys, they evacuated south to Calgary. And, and on the second day, uh, after, during fighting the fire, on the second day, uh, me and my crew, we made a quick stop at my house so I could get a change of clothes. I really needed a change of clothes and a change of underwear. And I went in the house only to discover that my loving wife, who in the middle of evacuating could only think about me, packed every piece of clothing I owned and took it with her to Calgary. <laughs> God has given me a helper who is just right for me. It's true, though. When I don't believe in myself, she does. And when I struggle to hope, she shares some of hers. And when I feel lost, she's the light that helps me find my way. God has designed us to need each other. You and I, all of humanity, to be dependent on one another. And it's not a defect. It's not a mistake. It's how God has made us. Now, last week, my goal in speaking to you was to help you I, to, to discover your identity in Jesus. And this week, it's my goal to help you see the best place for you to discover your purpose and your identity and who God made you to be is as part of a local church. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a very bold prediction. He predicted us. He predicted that we would exist, that his church would be here long after his death and resurrection. And he predicted nothing would stand in the way of his church. Let's look at this prediction. Uh, Matthew is the one who records this conversation for us. Uh, Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Uh, he was a first-hand eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He was right in there to see all the stories and able to write them down himself. And the truth is, Matthew was probably one of the few disciples who was actually even able to read or to write. So this historical record of Jesus written by Matthew, we call it the Gospel of Matthew, and it's right at the beginning of your New Testament. It tells the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Matthew records the life of Jesus, and he's recording things. He, Jesus is doing Jesus things, right? He's walking across the country, uh, healing the sick. He's giving hope to the hopeless, and he's performing miracles. And rumors about this Jesus, this weird rabbi, this miracle man, are spreading all across the land. Now, they didn't have Twitter or Facebook, so I'm not sure how the rumors were getting from town to town, but they spread. Nobody could agree on what they thought of this rabbi who was going around doing these incredible things. Is he a good man? Is he a magician? Is he a fraud? Is he a heretic? Is he a rebel? Matthew tells us that when Jesus, this is the scripture from Matthew 16, where Matthew picks up the conversation. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, his 12 disciples, his closest friends, the people who know him best, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and yet others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. His disciples just started to list off all the rumors that they've heard about Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is really wanting to know. 
He's interested in what they think of him. And so Jesus doubles down. He asks them, but who do you say I am? Guys, I know what everybody else is saying about me. I know the rumors. I want to know what you think. Who do you think I am? What do you believe? And Peter is the first to respond. And Peter might be my favorite disciple. Uh, he's a bit brash. You know, he ends up with his foot in his mouth quite often. He says some of the craziest things in these stories. He's the kind of person who uh, likes to act first and then think after. Uh, and, uh, but in this moment, Peter is the only one brave enough to answer. And he pipes up and he says out loud what everyone in the circle is quietly hoping is true in their hearts. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, 7, Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter is incredibly bold in this moment. Jesus, you are the one, the one we've been waiting for, the one who has come to rescue us from Roman oppression, the one who has come to set the world right. Jesus, you are the Messiah. Jesus speaks a truth about the identity of Jesus. And Jesus is pretty pleased with this guy. And he replies, You are blessed, Simon of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It is a bold prediction for a rabbi and his 12 followers to predict that we would be here 2,000 years later. Now, you probably know, uh, or you could guess, that the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, languages that are no longer really in use. And this means that when we write out the scripture, the, the Bible uh, in English, we have to be really, really careful to translate it properly, to not lo lose its original context and meaning. Now, there was a time in history when it was considered heretical to translate the Bible into English. Those in power were afraid that if the common person could actually read the scriptures, that, that those in power would lose their power over the people. And in the 16th century, a man named William Tyndale, he began his life's work of translating the New Testament from its original Greek into English. This is a little bit of history lesson. Hang in here with me. It matters. He was, uh, uh, he was translating the original Greek scriptures into English. And when he got to this verse that we're talking about here today, where Jesus says, I will build my church, William Tyndale was shocked to discover that the original Greek word that was translated as church didn't mean church. The original Greek word, ekklesia, I don't know Greek, I may be pronouncing it wrong, the original word was ecclesia. And at some point along the lines, they translated it into this other German word that meant church or house of the Lord. But William, knew, he knew that this Greek word, ecclesia, more properly translated, more honestly translated, didn't mean house of the Lord. It meant gathering of people. 
Jesus wasn't predicting a building. He wasn't predicting an institution. He wasn't predicting a place. He was predicting a gathering of people, his church. And so wherever Jesus' followers gather together, there is the church. The church is a we and not a where. Now, there's some discrepancy uh, between which rock Jesus is planning to build his church on. This is where we kind of differ uh, significantly from our Catholic friends. Catholics believe that in this scripture, Jesus is saying he's going to build his church on Peter, the person. And this is why uh, the Catholic Church has a long lineage of popes, right? The church is being built on Peter, on the pope, and, and that's why it continues even to this day. But we believe differently. We believe that the rock Jesus is going to build his church on is the truth that Peter expressed, not Peter himself. Peter declares the truth about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, and it's on this truth that Jesus plans to build his truth. He is at the center of his church. Christ forms the firm foundation of the church. And so we believe that the church, wherever Jesus' followers gather, is the primary way that God has chosen to present himself in the world. We are one of the ways that Jesus shows compassion to those in need. The church is one of the ways where justice is given to those who are treated unjustly. And we as the church are one of the ways that God has chosen to love a tired and weary world. We don't go to church. We are the church. And so let me ask this question. What is the church supposed to look like if it's not a building you go to on Sundays? One of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard it at just about every single wedding you've ever been to. It goes like this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. It's pretty, right? That's why it's used in weddings. But there is just no way that Paul was writing this scripture to be used in a romantic way. This comes from the book of Corinthians, which is just named that because it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's the book of Corinthians, but it's actually a letter that Paul wrote out to send to this church. A church that found itself in a huge mess, right? Uh, the, the church in Corinth had, had, dis, had uh, divided into factions that were fighting against each other. They, got, they were in the middle of some crazy, messed up uh, sexual sin that was happening between families and, and inside families. It's crazy stuff. And all the people are worshiping idols in this Christian church. And greed is running rampant. Uh, Christians are suing each other in Corinth. Everyone is ignoring the poor. And people are holding grudges against each other and refusing to forgive. The church in Corinth has lost its way. It's lost its north star. It's forgotten the thing that it's supposed to stand for. Love. 
And so Paul reminds them that love is the way of Jesus. Love is the mark of the church. Love is patient, it's kind, it's not boastful or jealous or proud or rude. Paul tells them, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I have gained nothing. Love is the way of the church. God is love. Jesus is love. And the church you and I, is God in the world, the way we love the world, the way God loves the world. God himself reaching out to the world in a way that can be felt, his presence can be made real and touched and felt and experienced. And here's the thing, you guys, whenever the church fails to make the presence and the love of God present in the society around it, it that's when we fail to actually be the church. I believe God has created us in his image. The character, and I believe that the characteristic in us that makes us most like God, most in his image, is that he put in us the capacity and the propensity to love. But you cannot love by yourself. Love is something you give. You can't love one another without another. He made us to love one another. A while back, I had a friend come visit me here at the church, and they walked into my office, and I could just tell their body language or their face instantly. I knew that something was wrong. They were deeply, deeply troubled. And they shared with me that they had been carrying this terrible burden of hurt around with them, that they weren't eating, they weren't sleeping, their life had been totally turned, up, uh, turned upside down by this hurt. And they said, my, my spouse keeps telling me that I, I should come and talk to somebody. I should share my burdens, but that's not who I am. I normally just, I just grin and bear it and I get through it. And I got to tell you, I wasn't able to solve their problem in that meeting. But I was able to sit with them and listen and pray with them. And I know that they left that morning feeling slightly better. Having been able to unload some of their burden onto somebody else. God made us for each other. Even when you don't feel like sharing what you, you don't want to be a burden to other people, God has designed us to share each other's burdens. I remember uh, when I was just a rookie firefighter many, many years ago, one of the things they used to tell us, that the, our instructors would drill into our heads, is you never go anywhere alone on the fire ground. You always go in pairs of two. So if one of you gets in trouble, there's someone there to help you. It was good advice. And I remember one of my first major fires, it was the uh, Plant 57 fire out at Suncor. And it was this big kind of scary fire. And one of the things that happened was it let go a ton of uh, a bitumen. So all throughout the plant, there was at least you know, a foot of bitumen throughout the entire base of the plant, making it quite impossible to move uh, and to get through. And we actually had to like take pieces of scaffolding and put it on top of the bitumen and walk on the, uh, the build bridges you know, throughout the plant to get places. And I remember at one point, uh, my lieutenant kind of went off by himself. Uh, he went to check on a water monitor deep in the plant. And uh, he was gone a few minutes. And 
Uh, a few minutes later, we, this, I want you to imagine this like a movie scene, right? Like there's like steam, it's hot, there's fire behind him. And we see him kind of emerge from the dark and from the steam all by himself walking. And he is not wearing any pants at all. <laughs> this is a true story, you guys. What had happened is that he went and, and accidentally got one of his boots stuck in the, in the bitumen. And then he used his other foot to gain leverage and then got that boot stuck in the bitumen. So he had to come out of his boots. So then when he came out of his boots, he, he stepped again and then his socks got caught. And so his socks came off in the bitumen and then he stepped again and his bunker pants, his fire pants got caught. And then he stepped again, and then his pants got caught. And so literally by the time he had escaped, the only thing he was wearing on the bottom half of his body was his heart print boxers as he emerged from the steam with a huge fire behind him. Honestly, it was quite the picture later when we went and saw where he was. It was like a line of clothes just kind of standing in the bitumen. He made a mistake. He tried to do it by himself. We need each other. When life gets hard, we need to lean on one another. When it hits the fan, we can be there for each other. When we find ourselves stuck, we need a helping hand. This is why I love the church. I love being part of Jesus' ecclesia, his gathering of Jesus' followers. There's always somebody who cares. Always somebody who helps. When times are tough, there's always somebody who will step in to encourage you. When disaster strikes, there's someone there to pull you through. When hope is lost, there's always someone to inspire you. When you feel alone, there's always somebody who will sit with you in your pain and your grief and your sorrow. And when you need a ride to the airport, there's somebody who can do that for you too. See, the church in Corinth was a work in progress, guys. They were a mess, but Paul pointed them towards love. Love one another. Now, he didn't fix them in that first letter. He ended up having to write them another letter. We call that 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 4, this is what Paul tells them. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. If you've been in church a long time, trading my sorrows, that's this song. Is, is, no, nobody, nobody trading my sorrows. Horrible song. But you know what I see here when I, when I look at this verse? Look at how many times you see the word we over and over again. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. 2,000 years ago, Jesus predicted a we that would not be destroyed. He was right. Even the powers of hell cannot stop us. And so this morning, I want you to see the church, this place, as the best place for you and your family to grow and discover your identity in Christ and your purpose in the world. And so I want to end with two challenges. If this is your church, if this is the place where you're practicing your faith, I want to encourage you to lean in. To lean in. You guys, we don't, 
invite you to serve on one of our Sunday service teams like Kid City or, or run a camera because we desperately need those roles filled. We invite you to be part of a team because on a team is where you discover the names of the people you sit with. It's where you discover this, their stories. It's where you get to hear about their lives. It's so you come to church and you know people's names and you know their stories. On a team, you discover each other. It's not rows like we're set up in now. This isn't very conducive to getting to know one each other. We, our teams are like circles where we get to know each other's names, where we get to share in each other's lives. We don't invite you to be generous because we desperately need to keep the lights on. We invite you to be generous because we know generosity is its own reward. And we know that people put their finances where their heart is. And we want your heart to be in what Jesus is doing through Fort City here in Fort McMurray. And we, we don't want you to make committing to regular worship with your family here at Fort City because we like having a full room or we like having butts in seats. We invite you to, make, to lean in and make Fort City a part of your spiritual rhythm because we know we were made for you and you were made for us and God designed us to be his church to his world. That's why we invite you to lean in here at your local church. We build this place together because each of us contributes to it. Lean in. And secondly, this morning, I, I understand that there are, are people in this room who are not part of the church. You've never actually made a decision to be part of Jesus' gathering of Jesus' followers. You have not decided that Jesus is the one you want to dedicate your life to and to, to serve and to follow. And the truth is that in this broken world, Jesus has offered us uh, himself as a way to make things right, to forgive our sins, to make us whole, to graft us into his ecclesia, to graft us in to his belonging as part of his gathering of people. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, if you are not a Jesus follower, I want to encourage you today that can change. You can choose to follow Jesus for the very first time and become part of his prediction that so far has proved pretty true. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul encouraged them not to waste any time. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Today is the day to receive Jesus as your hope. Today is the day to join his gathering of Jesus' followers. And if, if that's you today, if, if you want to decide to follow Jesus, at the end of our service, there's going to be a prayer team over on the side of the stage here. And they will help you craft that feeling you're feeling inside of you, the desire to give your life to Jesus, to commit to being part of his gathering of people here at Fort McMurray. They will help you put that desire into words in a prayer. And they'll help you to make that step of becoming a Jesus follower. They're good at what they do, those guys who pray over there. If you want to decide to give yourself to Jesus and accept his offer of life and wholeness, I encourage you to go to them after the service. As we close today, let me take a moment and pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for each person here. And I thank you that somehow, against all the odds and all the chaos of this world, each one of us have found ourselves here at Fort City 
on this cold morning in the Arctic north of Canada. Jesus, I thank you that even here, you are present and you are moving and you're working and your church is being built and the gates of hell, no power can stop it from being built. Now I pray for each one of us, Jesus, that we would see ourselves as members of your church, as part of your gathering, that we would lean in to being the church wherever we work, wherever we go to school, wherever we have fun, that we would see ourselves as an extension of your gathering of Jesus' followers wherever we go. And Jesus, for those in the room today who have never known what it's like to follow you, who have never known what it's like to be part of your gathering, Jesus, I pray you soften their hearts. Holy Spirit, move in them right now. Draw them to yourself. Give them the courage to make that first step towards you and say, I believe you are the Messiah and that's what I want to build my life on. Jesus, I pray a blessing over each person here, each person watching online. In the name of Jesus, amen.